Workday afternoon replay from Money FM 89.3. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Good afternoon and welcome to Market View. I'm Clarissa Montero for Money FM 89.3. Today I am joined by JP Ong, as usual, and Ven Srinivasan, who is the executive editor for SPH Radio. Now, it's been an interesting last week. Mm-hmm. The SDI spent a little bit more time in the red than it did in any other color. A little bit more time. And then... This week, we're looking at the possibility of being closer to an interim deal for the trade war. Then again, how many times have we heard that really, right? <laughs> how many times have we sung this song? Exactly. And again, if the only details we have are comments by White House economic advisor Larry Kudlow that we are close to a deal, we're down to the short strokes. Well, how, how short exactly are those strokes is the question, right? Nevertheless, you're seeing markets mostly expressing some optimism. You've, you were just a, a hair below a half a billion Singapore dollars in total value turnover today, but it's supporting a slight recovery. We're up by about nine points to 3,248. Mm-hmm. So a decent start for our markets, at least today. Um, the rest of the region looks uh, fairly mixed. It uh, sh- Stocks and uh, markets down under, at least, in both Australia and New Zealand are starting on the red. The Kospi also coming in about seven points lower, but this could just be an adjustment on the part of some of the investors and traders out in Seoul. But the Nikkei 225 generally optimistic, Shanghai, Shenzhen, even Hong Kong, which has seen its fair share of uh, turbulence and uh, political turbulence over the last couple of uh, weeks. You're seeing them start out on a good note. The Hang Seng's up by about 146 points mm-hmm. so far today. It seems that investors are, are shrugging some of the information off uh, from that end. I think one thing that's keeping markets a bit afloat today are two things that are ha- that happened on, on the mainland. Today, for the first time, uh, for the first time since 2015, the PBOC cut the seven-day reverse repo rate. Now, the Chinese central bankers have a number of rates that they can deploy to readjust or add liquidity into the markets or try to loosen monetary policy. This is one of those uh, one of those short-term rates that they have there. And they've cut it for the first time since 2015. So that's in the last four years, meaning that it caused a bit of movement, at least, and caused a bit of positivity in China that, hey, you know what? Maybe the PBOC is starting to get more serious. We're just looking at the wrong rates. And keep in mind, later this week, they're going to be resetting their one-year and five-year medium-term facility rates as well. So there could be room for some liquidity. But here's one thing I want to point out, at least for some of our listeners in Hong Kong today, uh, and if, if it's a question about why Hong Kong might be doing a bit better today, this is a, something out of the stocks blog of the South China Morning Post says that the Chinese Securities Regulatory Commission might be removing the limit on the public float of mainland companies listed in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. So there is a limit as to how much you can float out in Hong Kong. But what this would do is it would ease these regulations and could actually allow more mainland investors to pour more money into Hong Kong or pour more money into these eight shares that are listed in Hong Kong, the likes of Alibaba's eight shares, for instance, the Bank right. of China's eight shares. And this could free up more liquidity coming into Hong Kong. So regardless of the politics at the moment or what people in the mainland versus Hong Kong feel mm-hmm. about each other, if there's a deal, especially since a lot of these stocks have come down significantly and are at decent prices, just look, whenever things are more loosened up, when regulation and markets is freed up or loosened up, it tends to be a good thing. And I think that's one of the reasons why Hong Kong, at least despite all of what we saw over the weekend, why they're trading in the green so far today. Okay, now you juxtapose that with the rising tensions. Things are really actually getting worse. The employment market did get hit. Maybe property will be next. Then how do you put those two pictures together? Do you think that the uh, Hang Seng will continue to hold? Um, 
it's hard to say. I mean, the Hang Seng will will dance to the news flows. Uh, you know, after months of political uh, unrest and uh, things getting more intense over the weekend, the recession is here. And uh, the latest we are hearing is the Hong Kong's resilient uh, labour market starting to crack. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, retailers, restaurants, hotels are cutting wages and hours and letting staff go just to survive. So that's the look on the unemployment front. Mm-hmm. The other markets that people would look at in Hong Kong is also the property market. Sure. There was, I think, uh, a Bloomberg report that said that over the weekend, uh, property sales plunged, take up and interest plunged. But, you know, I was looking at a, straight, at a Business Times report by uh, a Joseph Turn, who believes that there's a lot of resilience in the Hong Kong property market. He basically uh, looked at the liquidity, for example, the banking system in Hong Kong has 1.4 trillion and, and 10%. Uh, the mortgages in the entire banking system are 1.4 trillion, which is 10% of the entire cash deposit of about 13.6 trillion. Mm-hmm. In Singapore, this ratio is 30%. On top of that, the amount of cash in the banking system of Hong Kong at 13 trillion Hong Kong dollars exceeds the entire housing stock of 10 trillion Hong Kong dollars. In other words, there's enough cash to mop up the entire housing market, housing stock. The loans-to-deposit ratio in Hong Kong is 76% compared to 106% in Singapore. And, you know, this basically indicates there's a lot of liquidity in the market. And uh, also there's very strong, besides this... uh, very strong balance sheets and healthy cash levels at bank uh, in the banking system as well as in the Hong Kong property companies. Mm-hmm. So the Hong Kong property market has got certain fundamental strengths that underpin it. Sure. So I don't think we are going to see a major crash even as we go through this turmoil in Hong Kong right, right. now. Okay, now we're looking back home. The SDI is up, which is nice mm-hmm. to start the week. But no dicks. Wasn't um, so great. Yes, not great. But again, uh, once once again, these things that are not very surprising <laughs> at the moment. Uh, I if, wanted to be you, surprised. Yeah, but it's, but if, it's actually a bigger surprise, perhaps to the downside, in fact. We saw mm-hmm. non-oil domestic exports here fall by uh, 12.3%. So yep. we're back to double-digit declines. But again, mm-hmm. uh, again, this is not surprising because of the general trend. We did see an improvement in that decline in, in September, but, mm-hmm. surpri- but that was still a decline nonetheless, right? Yep. Um, I, this shows once again that there's too much uncertainty out there. I think, mm-hmm. uh, I think, and it's making itself felt in how the how it's uh, helping slow down the economy here in Singapore. Keep in mind that more than twenty uh, percent, slightly more than twenty percent of the economy is actually manufacturing driven as well. Sure. So this also begs the question as to how some of the manufacturers, the exporters here in Singapore, are faring also, and uh, and it it doesn't paint the greatest picture actually. For markets here, I, when you look at, the, say, some of these movers right at the moment, well, some of them are actually doing okay. Venture Corp, it seems that some of the, the manufacturers here are shrugging some of these concerns off. There is this other narrative in the markets, of course, that there could be a bottoming out mm-hmm. in terms of this this slowdown. But again, this will all hinge once again on the U.S.-China trade deal. Another separate investor note that uh, folks in Wall Street pointed out was that, yes, the Dow hit another all-time high and breached 28,000. But the next thousand points, at least for U.S. markets, will depend on whether or not they can ink this phase one deal. And I think the same can be said for these uh, non-domestic oil exports that we have here in Singapore. It's all going to hinge on how that does. But keep in mind, whenever medicine 
if we can call it that, mm-hmm. if we can call an interim trade deal medicine, if whenever that's applied to something, it takes a while before it actually works its magic. It could be a couple of months of declines before we actually see it. Again, this is all predicated on whether or not Trump and Xi or President Trump and President Xi can actually come to the table and say, look, give me your, my pen. Let me sign off on this. That will be interesting to see. I mean, there's still some uncertainty with that. I don't think they've even narrowed down where they're going to sign it yet. No, they haven't yet. But I so think if you can't decide on where, how can you decide on the terms? But I think, but I think it's. But let's. let's I mean, honestly, I mean, it's 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 one of those things you can actually agree on. They both have private jets. They both uh, can fly off to anywhere in the world to actually make the signing if they wanted to. But I think it comes down to these these short strokes that Kudlow said. But exactly how short are these, mm. and what is your definition of short, Mr. Kudlow? Right. And I think one of the big sticking points again is. Beijing is holding off and is saying, hey, you know what? We need you to roll back these tariffs. Whereas I think Trump is banking on the fact that, hey, you know what? I promised to levy tariffs on you guys in mid-December if uh, we don't make any progress moving forward. And TikTok, Beijing, this is what's happening. So it seems that both of them are at least holding off or trying to be uh, trying to be a bit more stubborn in, in, in each other's faces. But yeah, but don't just- you think with the impeachment trials now public that Trump needs a win? Yeah, from but, the trade wars. Yeah, but you know, I think this actually isn't one of those things that will count with the impeachment because keep in mind that the trade war and protection of the American worker is one of those few things that has actually bipartisan support in the United States. Mm-hmm. In fact, the Democrats for a while have actually been pushing for it. Whenever they roll some of these things out in Congress, you see it's just a question of the of how you're applying it and the method in which you're applying it. I don't think it's a question. In fact, you know, this might even force President Trump to double down on the trade war stance. In right. fact, and say, you know what? I am still here. I'm the only one compared to these other Democrat presidents before us or, or the other Democrat who was here for eight years. I'm the one who's really been tough on rolling out these measures in China. Right. And, you know, I think this is what this could be one of those things he's going to roll out in his campaign. Should they even come to an interim trade deal and say, look, I yielded fruit. It's a partial deal, but I yielded some fruit compared to the other guy. You should vote for the next four years. I, it's it's yeah. one of those things. I, I can see I can see that narrative being spun on, on the campaign. Well, he's trails. already spinning that with his whole campaign mm-hmm. Promise of not perfect but better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Continuous improvement. Who thought mm, about? Indeed. Okay. So the non-oil domestic exports numbers for October weren't great. Then, when does does it mean that we can read it, or not that we want to, but can we read it as a technical recession, or are we not there yet? Okay. I mean, the drag was largely due to the high base in October 2018, mm-hmm. according to analysts uh, out there. Um, and also because non-electronics and NODX fell. Uh, for mm-hmm. example, pharmaceuticals fell by some 36%. So the U.S.-China trade war is taking a toll. And uh, what we are going likely to see is a lackluster fourth quarter. Sure. I mean, you know. But there are uh, experts out there who see November and December being slightly better. It's all relativity, you know. It's all in relative terms. Better meaning lower falls. Lower declines. And the third quarter GDP is now estimated to be between 0.1 to 0.5%. Right. So we are not quite in negative yet. But putting aside all these numbers, I mean, month on month they'll change. But you got to understand some things about where we are in Singapore. Mm-hmm. This economy has a healthy current account surplus, okay, good fiscal surplus and low negligible government debt. Mm-hmm. Okay, This means Singapore is well positioned to weather a global slowdown. Right. Even if we went into a full recession next year. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, we're not going to totally collapse. But Singapore will always feel the heat of the trade war. 
Okay. Uh, no doubt mm-hmm. about that. So right. things will be difficult, but we are not going to fall into a deep, deep pit and you know not, never crawl out. Just to add to that also, a few weeks ago when the preliminary figures were released mm-hmm. uh, last October, I, I spoke to Selena Ling of OCBC that time. And one thing she actually mentioned was, uh, to uh, voice some support, I guess, for what Ven said, we have to keep in mind that if there, if things do turn for the worst, there is a lot in the war chest, both for the monetary authority of Singapore and also for the government, which I think is why it'll be very, she said, she also mentioned that it's going to be very interesting to watch out for what the budget is going to be like next year. Because right. if there is a slowdown, you might see the government actually start to, to deploy some of these tools, yeah. some of this fiscal spending, because they actually, compared to a lot of other economies in the world, they've got a lot in the tank actually, to, or a lot in the chest to throw And they have promised the to use that uh, exactly. surplus. So now the question is, but, but now the big question is, how right. are you going to deploy it, and uh, in what manner, and what shape? I'm, I think that's going to make, make the budget rather interesting moving forward, and how they balance this with some of the growing social needs of Singapore as well. Okay, well that, that would allay a lot of investors and their concerns. Now, should they be looking at diversifying into emerging market stocks? Mm, is this think, a good time for them? Well, I think there. I think uh, depends on what emerging market stocks. Mm. I believe is the question. So, oh, the, one of the bigger themes in the emerging markets also is if there is a trade war or a recession, it's going to hit a lot of these open economies. But you see a lot of resilience in consumer-driven economies, especially, and this is why they've they've all a lot of folks have mentioned. Yes, it might seem con- contradictory to invest in China during a U.S.-China trade slowdown, mm-hmm. but the Chinese consumer has been rather resilient. So you might want to look at some of these economies that are driven by consumer well, that are consumer-driven, young, fast-growing populations um, that, that count on the spend as much as uh, the spend and the strength of domestic bases and domestic right. markets. So for one, um, whenever I think of that, I think of three particular markets. Uh, Markets: India, Indonesia, and the Philippines, right. as uh, being these uh, these domestic-driven co- economies. Vietnam, India's got its own issues right now because they are trying to slash corporate taxes, and it could bring about some fiscal issues and challenges for the economy. But Indonesia, the Philippines, and Vietnam, they tend to uh, go back into their econ- into into the uh, natural makeup of their demographics mm-hmm. and actually say, "Hey, are you spending?" And if, if the profile or the co- or if the consumer in these countries remains confident, then they tend to weather out some of these storms better. It's one of the reasons why, for instance, uh, when I was back in Manila, a lot of economists there would actually point out that the, one of the reasons why the Philippines wasn't as hit by the global economic crisis because people were still spending and we weren't as exposed to some of these issues. So uh, when you're looking at some of these emerging markets, you have to be also very careful because no two emerging markets are alike. I right. That's yeah. it. I think the relative valuation discount mm-hmm. in emerging markets will protect them, shield them from, from massive downside. Right. Uh, I mean, emerging market stocks are, I mean, are, are on a price to economic book measure, I was looking at it, it's about 1.1 time compared mm-hmm. to S&P, which is three times mm-hmm. book. So you're talking about low valuation. Also, emerging markets tend to rebound uh, very quickly, very strongly and quickly. You know, For example, between 2003 and 2004, just after the dot-com uh, bust, the S&P 500 gained 43%. Emerging markets, MSCI emerging rallied an impressive 96%. Right. So, uh, you know, if you held emerging market stocks between 1999 and 2004, you would have made nearly 40% more in terms of uh, wealth of your holdings compared to a 12% fall in nominal terms on mm-hmm. the U.S. broad market. But- 
So All while right. emerging markets will fall, they rebound very fast. And we, when they do, they do it very strongly. My 15-second well. caveat, though, is emerging markets tend to have a very bumpy ride. So yeah. be prepared that when you're going through these three years, there's going to be ups and downs. The shock absorbers on the emerging markets are not as, uh, as sophisticated or as smooth as, say, what you see in developed markets like Singapore. So just remember, get in there, but don't lose your head or try to have some stomach because they do tend to move in these ways. But generally, the uptrend, as Ven said, when you look at the long term, has been more positive than negative and rather fruitful. But uh, you might lose your lunch in a couple of days. Those that are geared uh, towards the rising consumption in, mm-hmm. in emerging markets mm-hmm. would tend to do better than others. All right. Well, there's some food for thought for you if you're looking at where else you can be putting your money in. This has been Market View Monday with Ven Srinivasan, J.P. Ong, I'm Clarissa Montero, your Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.